The data used to understand crime, punishment, and the justice system is the focus of our program today. There is one federal agency that addresses data from courts, victimization, crime types, law enforcement, and efforts to improve the criminal justice system. The federal organization that does this is the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and a conversation about work in the BJS will be our focus today on Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. I'm John Baylor from the Department of Statistics, and I'm joined on the panel today by Richard Campbell, Chair of the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Jerry Mulrow, Acting Director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and she'll be joining us today to talk about statistics and justice. So, Jerry... Can you give us a quick sketch of the scope of work at the BJS? <laughs> wow. Yes. Well. <laughs> I wanted to start with a really simple one. Oh, by the way, welcome, <laughs> Jerry. It's, it's a delight to, to yeah. have you join us. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here this afternoon. Um, wow. The Bureau of Justice Statistics is um, it's one of the smallest statistical agencies in the federal statistical system, but to me it has one of the broadest mandates. Um, as you said in the introduction, John, we cover a broad variety of data uh, from uh, victimization to crimes reported to police um, through um, the courts, adjudication and prosecution through corrections, and then uh, recidivism studies, who comes back into the system, who eventually leaves the system. Um, we cover all of those um, topics, both at the um, state and local level, at the federal level, at the juvenile level, and at the tribal level. So our mandate, um, <laughs> it's pretty big and it's pretty broad. And um, in order to do that, BJS um, runs uh, periodically um, anywhere between 50 and 60 different data collections over a period of years uh, to try to measure different aspects um, across that spectrum of the criminal justice system. So that's kind of it in a quick nutshell. I can go into um, any of those particular areas and describe uh, some of the activities that we do in each of those, if that's of interest. Sure. First, first let me ask, Jerry, uh, did you aspire when you were a college student to be the acting director of the Bureau of <laughs> of Justice Statistics, and if you did not, tell, tell us a little bit about how you, your training and how you got where you are today. Uh, I would say um, absolutely not. I probably didn't even know about the Bureau of Justice Statistics when I was um, in college. Uh, I was actually um, a mathematics major in, in college, and during my um, junior year, I was encouraged to take some applied kinds of courses. One of those courses happened to be the area of statistics, and um, as is usual for first-time uh, statistics course takers, it was like, I really didn't really like that course very well, but my advisor said, go ahead, take another course, and by the time I got through um, regression and analysis of variance and design of experiments, I said, hey, statistics is really cool. I, I think I, I want to go into that area. Area. I can work in, um, in a variety of different topic areas, and so sort of embarked on that. Um, I still had no idea what federal statistics was, why they were important, where that, you know, that that might even be a career path, but went on to graduate school and 
um, ended up deciding that I would like to work and not not in academia but um, in some other area and ended up at the National um, Institute for Standards and Technology in Boulder um, working there in one of their uh, statistical engineering divisions. Um, stayed there for a couple of years while my husband was finishing up but then moved into teaching at, at Southern Illinois University and said, hmm, students don't really learn all that <laughs> well sometimes. And I, I think for me, I was more interested in doing something different. I still didn't know what that different was, but I applied for a job at the IRS, uh, Internal Revenue Service, and got a job at the Statistics of Income Division, which is a federal statistical agency. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, hey, this is not such a bad um, area to be in. One of the things that I liked was uh, I had a lot of interesting practical problems that I could work on. And um, in D.C., uh, we have a very large um, component of the Washington Statistical Society. It's a component of the American Statistical Association, got involved there, and um, sort of found a community of people that I felt that I could connect with. Um, and so I have stayed in and around the federal statistical system uh, throughout my career. So I started, like I said, um, at IRS, at Statistics of Income Division. Um, I've also been at the National Science Foundation, their um, statistical organization called the National Center for Science and Engineering Statistics. And then about a year and a half ago, um, I uh, the opportunity came up to join the Bureau of Justice Statistics as their principal deputy director, and I moved over here um, after um, a couple of months. The, um, the director uh, announced he was leaving, and I was um, asked to uh, serve as acting uh, director for the Bureau of Justice Statistics. So um, this is a very new area to me. Crime, uh, crime data are very new to me. Um, but of course, the statistical aspects of collecting data and analyzing data are core to my background. Very good. Oh, awesome. So, so what was the, the biggest surprise that you encountered in, in moving to, to the Bureau of Justice Statistics? Is there a particular data set or data collection effort through the Bureau that people would be surprised to know? Um, yeah, I think that uh, just the, well, the data in general to me are um, so relevant to what's happening in our communities. So we have data from the National Crime uh, Victimization Survey, which uh, collects information from individuals about um, their victimizations. And what we find from that survey is that a huge number of um, victimizations are not reported to police. And so that's the um, really interesting aspect of that survey is that it gets a sort of this, um, we call it the dark figure of crime. It's the crime that are not reported to the police departments. Everything else that comes through the system then starts with crime that's reported to police because if you're arrested, you go through the court system, you get, you know, go through the prison system or the correctional system, all of that is predicated on the fact that somebody reported a crime and, and then the police arrested somebody. So this victimization survey actually starts out before that trying to understand what crimes are occurring and why people may or may not be reporting those crimes to police. So, so I think are there that's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. So are there particular types of crimes that are underreported? What's, what's the magnitude of, of underreporting? Um, 
Yes. So there is definitely a variation in the amount of crime that's reported. So you can imagine motor vehicle theft um, is reported at very high percentages, mm -hmm. almost, you know, 85, 90% of motor vehicle theft is reported. That's likely because you have to report your vehicle yeah. stolen if you want to get your insurance yeah. money for it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, but other types of crimes, so we are estimating from our 2014 survey that about only 60% of robberies are actually reported to the police. Huh. And really only about a third of rapes or sexual assaults are reported to police. Um, mm -hmm. So you can see there's a big variation there in the types of crimes um, that are experienced and the types of crimes that people report. Very interesting. One of the things that, uh, that I always ask our guests is about what journalists get right and do well when they're covering crime statistics or other kinds of statistics, IRS statistics, uh, and what kind of drives you crazy about some reporting that you might see in, in newspapers or on television when the work that you do is made uh, public. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, do you have pet peeves? That's another thing. Do you have any pet peeves about the work that journalists <laughs> do? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, there is a lot of reporting of crime, um, yes. and that's one of the interesting areas of working at BJS is that our data are cited quite often. Um, I think uh, we a lot of the staff actually have um, quite a bit of a rapport with various different reporters around because people will, reporters will get interested in a particular topic of crime and then they get connected with one of our staff. Mm -hmm. And they often will call them um, ahead of time or when they're writing the stories in order to understand what data are available, how to understand what those data are and how to put that into the context of what's going on. Um, so I think that for BJS they have a pretty good um, record of working with the press in order yes. to sort of mitigate some of those um, misinterpretations that might occur of taking the data out of context or not really fully understanding what it is that, that we're reporting on, uh, what, this act, what population it actually covers and what populations it doesn't actually cover. So for example, in our corrections area, we have information on prisoners and we have information on jail inmates. And those are actually very different kinds of populations of people that end up in those two correctional types of facilities. Um, so we work hard to um, uh, educate and, and help um, folks understand how our data should be used and understood. But I think that's a pet peeve across people who work with data and present information that, that data get taken out of context. Mm -hmm. Well, you're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. Today our focus is on crime statistics. I'm John Baylor from Miami University's Statistics Department, and I'm joined by Richard Campbell from the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our special guest today is Jerry Mulrow, Acting Director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics. So Jerry, what exactly does a director of a statistical bureau do? <laughs> well, since I'm a, we're a very small bureau, it seems like the director does pretty much uh, all sorts of different things. <laughs> 
um, I uh, interact with a variety of different um, people both within the building. So um, the Bureau of Justice Statistics sits within the Department of Justice. Uh, we do a lot of collaborations with other organizations within this department, um, such as the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the Office of Victims of Crime. So part of my role is to um, collaborate and, and make sure that um, uh, there are uh, where there are touch points on data that we're working together and not at, at odds with each other. So I'd say that's part of my role. Uh, another part of the role of the director is um, reviewing uh, publications and products that come out, um, making sure that you know they're they're accurate, that that they're timely, that they're relevant, that we're um, providing information that is what I would call. Um, policy relevant but policy neutral. One of the roles of the statistical agencies is to um, provide data for policy makers but not to make that policy ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just um, our staff are pretty good at that but making sure that that's uh, occurring. So a piece of that is that. Another part of uh, the role is um, I have a lot of direct interactions with staff because we are a very small agency. I have um, a little under 60 staff. So I, I know everybody on staff. I pretty much know what they're working on. Um, so I have quite a bit of interaction there. Um, and then I would say the fourth piece of it um, is the strategic planning and where are we going and how do we, you know, that's sort of the resources allocation. How do we think about where the budget's going? Uh, where do we think we need staff? Where do we think our staff, what what skills and training do our staff need? Um, what kind of data gaps do we have? So more of that broader planning piece of it. So I would say that's sort of the more broad areas of where I work into. Great. So this is um, this may be a little a trickier question, but I know how journalists respond. For instance, when during a presidential campaign, um, crime statistics are used by candidates and sometimes they're not accurate, sometimes they're not right. I know what journalists do, they kick into fact-checking mode. And I'm wondering what folks at the, uh, at the Justice Statistics Bureau do when they hear things like, okay, crime has never been worse, or the murder rate is the highest it's been in you know, 47 years. How do you respond in those, those instances? Um, we're not very proactive at responding in those instances. If if we're contacted about that by someone uh, either who wrote the article or someone who's questioning the article, we'll we'll provide a response to that. Um, but we do not go out and actively try to um, respond to every article that's produced and mm -hmm. and review and correct it. Sure. Um, we do not have the resources right. to do that. I'm not sure if that really answers that's your a, question. It's a good diplomatic answer, well, and I appreciate it. Well, I think that's a fair answer. I mean, yeah. you're going to be a you're a resource. You're you're a resource that that right. anyone can go to. Um, you made the the comment about about producing policy relevant data and analyses. Can you give an example of some of the the, the policy relevant how some of the data analysis that you've done has been integrated and impacted policy discussions? Um, well, let, let me think. Um, there are, um, so for example, there are quite a few questions around um, those held in correctional populations. So for example, I'll take, a, I'll take an example from the previous administration. 
just so it's not you know a current day kind of thing. Um, but there are there were a lot of um, there was a lot of discussion about um, reducing um, sentence lengths for for drug offenders um, mm -hmm. from the last administration, and so trying so so from BJS's role, then um, we have a lot of data collections from the correctional facilities themselves on the inmates. Um, we have some um, collections on the inmates themselves. Um, and so what we would try to do in that case is to uh, build in questions on those data collections that would try to get at um, the percentage of people that are using drugs, um, that had used drugs that are in um, the correctional populations, for example, in jails. What kinds of treatments would they be getting? Um, and then another way of looking at that would be to historically get some criminal history records for people who had been in those facilities and try to look back at um, some of the information that they provide on drug use. So those are the kinds of things that we would try to do is put together pieces from our various different collections to address those questions that are coming up from the point of view that we would have the data. Or we would try to um, add questions to existing data collections to help to try to um, provide a picture of the national landscape of what was going on in terms of those questions. That's the, kind of inf that's the kind of thing that we try to do. We also will do focused reports based on our data that might address a particular topic that has been in the um, policy realm for the last, you know, few months or something like that. We are not the quickest. We're not like journalists where we'll turn it around in a week or two. Our mm -hmm. process is a little bit longer and slower in the federal government. How how do you deal with issues like I, we know, for instance, that there's been an uptick in violent crime? Um, I think this was in 2015, but that overall crime is down. That's mm -hmm. kind of a if you're a journalist, that's kind of a hard story to get your head around and explain what's happening there when you see data like that. Can you help me with that yeah. a little bit? Um, yeah, it's it is a tough one where we are noticing, you know, that definitely crime has been going down over the last probably two decades. If you right. look at the graphics, uh, there is some uh, increase in there seem to be some increase in crime in some in some areas. It's not necessarily we're not really sure. Um, until we get this next year's data in for us from a national point of view, whether that's an overall uptick or whether that's really more of a measurement kind of issue that was going on. Um, now, we do look at the FBI data, which is mm -hmm. um, a little bit more granular. And at the when I say granular, I mean at the local and state levels. So they collect data from local jurisdictions, try to follow some of that. We may try to pull in some of that information and look at what's going on with those data too in connection with our overall national level data to try to look at what's going on. Um, right now I think we don't have a good picture of what's going on nationally, mm -hmm. uh, whether crime is up or not. Um, we do you know, monitor what's going on through our crime victimization survey too. And again, um, it's unclear right now. So are those are those very complex surveys that are being conducted as part of the the crime victimization survey? Yeah, that is. Um, it's a national household survey. It goes out to um, about a hundred 
and 25,000 households and maybe 200,000 people. Um, so we're continuously in the field. Because it's a household survey, it is clustered in particular areas of the country uh, to, for um, efficiency, for statistical efficiency. And so, um, and crime rates are low. So when we, we have to actually aggregate quite a few rounds of data in order to be able to talk about some of the levels of crime. Well, that, that, that's a good thing. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious about when, when you were talking about the, the uh, crime going down over the last two decades. And it's, it's always an interesting question about what's the window over which you would look to, to think about establishing these trends. Well, um, we try to provide as much historical data as we actually have. Um, usually our data is on an annual basis. It's not, it's not on a more frequent basis. Um, so we, look, we try to look overall what's happening. Mm -hmm. Some people try to look at, you know, the last five years or the last decade. Right. Um, but, but given that we have the data, we try to usually present what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then we'll try to talk about it in a more relevant, what, what, how is it compared to last year? Oh, good. To give people the, both pictures. Just sort of, the, sort of the, short, the, the short-term annual trend stuff. Very good. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're discussing the statistics used for evaluating and understanding crime statistics. So from a, from a general audience perspective, you know, how, how do you best understand the importance of kind of the work that's done in your office? Oh, boy. Well, um, I mean, I think overall that the um, federal, statistics, federal statistical system provides a important data infrastructure for the nation overall. Um, the B you know, Bureau of Justice Statistics contributes to that um, data infrastructure uh, by providing national information on a variety of different aspects of the criminal justice system. Um, we, we provide um, our data widely. It's widely available for the public, uh, researchers, for policymakers to use in the form of either reports or data files. Um, and even for uh, public or I would call private companies to take that data and then repackage that data. I think that's a pretty common thing that happens with the federal statistics data. And I think what happens is the public doesn't really understand or loses where those source data come from. Um, so they think that it's data are, are magically generated and that good quality data just sort of comes out of the air. But I think that the federal statistical system works really hard to provide that solid core infrastructure that can then be used by a host of people for a variety of reasons. I don't know. Maybe I lost focus there. Was that, did that answer your question? No, that's, that's very good. Thank yes. you. So earlier you mentioned the high rate of reporting motor vehicle crime and the low rate of reporting crime, rape, and sexual assault. I think, again, from a general public's point of view, how do you find out the number of, of victims who actually aren't reporting rape and sexual assault? How do we know that's only a third of those crimes are reported? So as part of our National Crime Victimization Survey, we um, do individual level interviews with people in households, and we have quite an extensive survey that goes through asking about the time, types of crimes that they've um, experienced over the last six months. Um, we ask a variety of questions about those crimes. Um, 
the perpetrator of the crimes. Um, and then we ask, you know, did they report those crimes? I mean, we do have questions about whether they reported those crimes mm -hmm. to law enforcement, why they, re why they didn't report those crimes to law enforcement. Um, and then if they did report the crimes to law enforcement, you know, what were their experiences with the uh, law enforcement officials? Um, so it covers kind of a variety of questions to try to tease out um, what crimes are being, you know, committed, um, what kinds of victims are they, uh, and how they're thinking about those crimes. We do a lot of um, work to develop those questionnaires mm -hmm. to, and t uh, what we call cognitive testing or going out and testing those questions to be sure that we're getting um, reliable reporting yeah. uh, from a variety of different people. So we spend quite a lot of time working on uh, how to ask those types of questions to get at those kinds of information. It's a bit of a sensitive topic. Yes, yeah, so, of course. Um, yeah, so we have a series, actually, of questions. And we do, we instruct our interviewers to um, make sure that the questions that we're asking are not um, impacting the the person who's being interviewed that you know we make them we we let them know that they are you know can stop at any time they do not have to answer mm -hmm. the questions these are voluntary surveys right. um, so uh, we work very hard to um, provide them with information if they feel like they need to talk with someone else we often bring materials about where they can seek services if they were victims of crime mm -hmm. so yeah. we do provide those sort of other kinds of activities around that survey very yeah. good. Thank yeah, you. That's very important. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that part of your responsibility is to, to think about strategic direction and strategic planning for your, for your agency. You know, I'm, I'm just wondering, what's, what's the future hold for data collection and statistical analysis or modeling at the Bureau of Justice Statistics? <laughs> well, a lot of our, our data collections are um, based off of administrative information. Um, so we do try to collect data from, there are 18,000 local law enforcement agencies, so we do try to collect information that's in their administrative information system. So I think the way that we collect that data I think is going to change. I think with the ability to, um, you know, maybe process and inhale data more efficiently, using technology may um, allow us to change the ways that we collect some of that administrative information. Um, I think that the way that we're doing the National Crime Victimization Survey is probably not sustainable in the near future. Um, Interviewer-administered surveys are very expensive. Mm -hmm. I think the um, ability to be able to maintain the cost associated with that is, is going to be a challenge for us, and I think yeah. we're already doing um, research and development work to figure out how we might move that survey to a self-administered survey and what that would mean in terms of the sample design and the estimation work and the questionnaire design and all sorts of things like that. I think surveys will be less and less for the federal statistical system overall because of the cost and and the response rates and all sorts of things. I do think that there are challenges to using what we call alternative sources of data, other types of data that are, are out there that we haven't been using, um, questions about the quality of those data, questions about the sustainability of those data. So for example, if we were to look at using commercial data for something particular or using um, data from scraping the web, Let's use that for an example. I think the ability to do that is sustainable, but I think that the, the data that's available on the web is not, it changes over time, and so may not be a sustainable source in terms mm -hmm. of trends over time. 
Uh, so for if we're you know like measuring, and we can take a relevant example, um, police shootings. That's always one that's in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. You know, re reporters right now are very interested in reporting on that, but. Um, who knows what the future will be if that will continue to be a hot topic and we'll continue to cover those in a you know full set of coverage. We don't know. I'm not sure how sustainable those kinds of data uh, techniques are. But I do think that we have to continue to look forward and um, figure out how to use some of these uh, types of data that we haven't traditionally been using, sensing data, GPS-type data, all sorts of other data sources that now the statistical methods and techniques to um, analyze, you know, organize, analyze, um, and produce information from, I think we need to look into those. I think that's where the future is going to be. You talked a lot about kind of the future of the data collection, and, and you hinted at some of the challenges of, of, of merging and collating these very disparate data sources. Can you talk a little bit about the, the the models that the, the statistical models and the prediction the predictive models and how how predictive models might be be used for uh, analyzing some of the data that you guys produce. Well, we haven't really weighed into that area much oh, okay. here at BJS, so All I right. can't really talk too much about that. Oh no 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 worries no worries. So it's, it just sounds like there's <laughs> a, think, it's an interesting source that you have that I, I would imagine that others will start to would, would consider using that. And I think what um, I think what we would like to do is um, partner more with uh, you know have more private-public uh, academic partnerships um, to bring in um, methods that we know are out there, but you know we in house don't have the staff expertise and or the bandwidth right at the moment to do some of these things. You know we're busy producing the information and trying to do just the basic analysis of these data. But there are many more things that can be done um, with the data. And putting these data together with other types of data, I think, environmental data like what's going on with wages and earnings and where are people living and how are they getting to where they might work. And um, all these things impact what's going on and crime data. Uh, an example of an example of that might be: Have you done work with the Marshall Project at all? Which is the you know Bill Keller, the former editor of the New York Times, is nonprofit group looking at U.S. social justice issues and criminal justice issues. Is that a partnership that might be might be in the works? So I am not aware of that right okay. at the moment. Um, it's fairly new, and it's been in the news because, uh, you know, donations to investigative units on a national basis are up, and uh, that's something that's a little, that's unusual. So, yeah, I know that um, there are there are uh, private foundations that are funding um, a variety of projects uh, in the criminal justice area. Right. Um, so, but we have, we have not done uh, as, as much of that partnering as we probably ought to be doing. So if, if a student wanted to get involved and at some point in their future work for the, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, what's the kind of background that would, would make them you know, really well positioned to contribute to, to your shop? Well, I think that the usual statistical methods are a good, a good basis to start with. I think that the data computing, data science types of issues also are a good foundation. An interest in criminal justice, in that particular area of criminal justice, uh, is also something that would be useful um, to have maybe a little bit of background in that. But it's, you know, there's always a, 
should you hire somebody who's uh, in the subject matter area and then you know train them in the statistical data science area, or should you hire st uh, people with a statistics and data science background and train them in the criminal justice area? I think there's a little bit of both happening. Um, I think all of it can happen, and it's just really an interest in wanting to work with federal data at this level. Um, you know, there's some pretty interesting challenges for us from a methodological and statistical point of view of data collection or and or of analysis. There's uh, interesting subject matter area topics that people can delve into to try to understand what data we have and then help us understand what data gaps we have. Um, so I think there's just a variety of ways to come into it, mostly interest. <laughs> that, that seems to be a, a, a common theme. You know, if you're not interested, it's hard to contribute. Well, well, Jerry, that, that's all the time we have for our conversation today. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been great. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. Stay tuned and keep following us on Twitter or iTunes. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your mail to Stats and Stories at miamioh.edu and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. <laughs>